The scripture passage we'll be considering this morning is in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. First Corinthians chapter 2, we'll be looking at verses 6 through 16. Please give your attention to God's holy and errant word. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it's not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. A natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. How did we ever live before Google? How did anyone ever know how to cook lasagna back then? How did anyone ever know how to install a ceiling fan before Google? How did people find an address in town and how to get there? How did people look for a church before there was Google? It's amazing. If you have an iPhone, you can get answers to any question anywhere, anytime. Just push that button and ask Siri, the all-knowing Siri. And she can give you an answer in a split second to any question. Google and Siri are great at imparting knowledge to us. But they're lousy at imparting wisdom to us. They can't answer the big questions in life. Matter of fact, if you want a pleasant diversion for your Sunday afternoon, do what I did a couple days ago. I grabbed my iPhone, and I asked Siri a simple question. I said, Siri, what is the meaning of life? And it's really entertaining. Try it, seriously, because she gives you a different answer. If you keep asking the question, she gives giving you a different answer. And I, just, I transcribed a few of them I wanted to share with you. The first answer she gave me to the question of what is the meaning of life was this. All evidence points to chocolate. 
So I asked her again, Siri, what's the meaning of life? Her answer, 42. (laughs) If you know the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Universe. Third time I asked the question, her answer was, I can't answer that. Emmanuel Kant? Oh, never mind. (laughs) The fourth time I asked the question, she said, I think by this point she knew I was looking for a serious answer. So the fourth time I asked the question, she said, there is no consensus on the answer to that question. Pretty insightful for Siri, I thought. Fifth time I asked the question, I think she was getting frustrated with me, so she gave me a technical biological definition for the word life. And the sixth time I asked the question, and because of this answer, I stopped asking, she said, I give up. At least Siri knows her limitations. You know, if you type that question into Google, what's the meaning of life, you know what you get. You get tens of thousands of philosophical and religious websites, a lot of quotes from famous people, and a whole bunch of Calvin and Hobbes cartoons. That's what you get if you ask Google, what's the meaning of life? But if there's ever a question that you and I need, absolutely must have a clear and definitive answer to, it's the answer to that question. What is the meaning of life? And Siri and Google are not equipped to give an answer. All they can do is give us a widely divergent variety of answers that contradict each other. These are the kinds of questions that pertain to wisdom. Knowledge is made up of historical and scientific facts, materialistic facts. That's knowledge. But wisdom is made up of the big questions to life. Why am I here? Why was I created? What's the purpose of life? Where is it all headed? These are questions that only our creator can answer. And his answers to those questions are clear and definitive. Matter of fact, look at verses 6 and 7 again in this passage. Paul makes a remarkable claim here. He says, yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Although it's not a wisdom of this age, we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. You hear what he's saying? He has been sent by God to give clear and definitive answers to those big questions that Google and Siri can't answer. What is the meaning and purpose in life? Who are we? What's it all about? We saw last week in chapter 1 that Paul was deeply concerned not just about the divisions that were going on among the church, among the Christians in Corinth, but he was deeply concerned because one of the main things that was causing a division was that they had stopped listening to Paul and the other apostles and what they were teaching about wisdom and truth, and they were starting to listen to the worldly philosophers, the popular, trendy speakers of the day. And that's why... Paul works very hard in both 1st and 2nd Corinthians to lay out his credentials as being God's spokesman. In Hebrews chapter 1, it says there that in the cacophony of all the voices that are speaking all around us, in the midst of all that, God has spoken. 
He says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And that's what Paul is claiming. I have been sent by Jesus Christ to give you wisdom from above. Clear and definitive answers to those essential questions of life. Paul, in the book of 1 Corinthians, is going to be continually calling the Corinthian Christians' attention to the fact that there is a radical distinction between the wisdom of God and the wisdom of this world, or as in this passage he calls it, the wisdom of this age. And in chapter 1, he took a moment to show us what the wisdom of God looks like in the eyes of the world. This is how the world looks at the church and what we believe and what we follow And he says that we need to be prepared for the world to, on an ongoing basis, until Christ comes again, to be seen as foolish people in the eyes of the world who listen to a foolish message preached by foolish messengers. But here in chapter 2, Paul switches from the world's perspective on God's word to God's perspective on his word. What is the word of God to his people? The first thing that Paul says is it's always going to be an unconventional wisdom. Verse 6, he says, it's not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age. In a world full of sinners, in a world under God's curse, in a world where the spirit of the power of the air is still at work, the truth of God is never going to be conventional. It's never going to be the accepted opinion of the majority. It's never going to be the majority opinion. When Paul talks about this age, he's not talking about his time. He's not talking about his generation of people. In the New Testament, it makes a distinction between this age and the age to come. This age is between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. This reality that we still live in, this age, as opposed to the age to come when Christ comes back again and takes away all that is false, all that is untrue, all the lies, all the sin, and all the damage of sin, when it's all put away once and forever, then we're going to be in the age to come. And so we live in this age, but we belong to the age to come. In this age, the wisdom of this age is what reigns. It's what he calls in chapter 1, verse 20, the wisdom of the world. It's how the world thinks about the big questions in life. And its perspective is based in a mindset, in a heart attitude of rebellion and rejection of God's truth. If you've ever read that great allegory, Pilgrim's Progress, remember that when Christian is carrying the heavy burden. At the beginning of the story, he's carrying the heavy burden of his sin and shame and guilt. And he comes as he's searching for, he's on his way. We know he's on the way to the cross, but he hasn't gotten there yet. And on the way, he meets one called Mr. Worldly Wise Man. And Mr. Worldly Wise Man tells Christian to stop reading the book. He says, that book has led many people astray. No, instead, you go over here to this community called, the community was named Morality. And he says, in the community of Morality, you go and find a man named Legality and his son Civility. And they will show you how to get rid of your burden of sin and guilt and shame. You see, that's 
what Paul is talking about here, the worldly wise men who points you away from the truth of God's word and to the prevailing opinion of the day to deal with the big questions in life and the burdens that you have to carry. Paul says it's not, that wisdom of this age is not, or the wisdom that he is preaching, the wisdom from above, the wisdom from God, is not a wisdom of the rulers of this age. And there he's referring to the authorities, the teachers, the political leaders, the religious leaders of his age, of this age, the ones who impart this worldly wisdom, the ones who set the standards for what's true in the big questions of life. It's the ones we call the gatekeepers of society. Today it's professors, politicians, scientists, celebrities that reject the truth of God's word and are looked to as authorities. They're the gatekeepers for what's true in terms of wisdom. I remember when my kids were young teenagers, I loved that stage of their development because they get to that point where they're old enough and they start paying attention to what's being talked about in the news and in the, in the marketplace and in the neighborhood and, and they hear about these social issues or political issues. But this is all new to them and they, they're, they're confused by it all and so they would come to me as their dad and they say, Dad, on this issue, what are we supposed to think? That's a very brief period of a child's life <laughs> where they come to you and they say, please tell me how to think about this issue. Give me a worldview. Answer the big questions for me. Just tell me, Dad. I'll, I'll believe it. Just tell me, whatever it is. But unfortunately, we don't ever grow out of that stage, do we? We just change our gatekeepers. We just look for other authorities. When we reject our parental authority, we go look for another authority, whether it's a news authority or political authority or religious authority. We want somebody to tell us what to think about the big questions in life. In verse 8, Paul refers specifically to the Jewish religious leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes. He refers to Caiaphas. He refers to Herod. He refers to Pilate. He's talking about those gatekeepers, those authority figures in that culture, in the society that he dealt with in the first century, the ones who rejected Christ himself, the ones who spurred the people on to cry out, crucify him, and the ones who condemned him to death. That's the fruit of the world's wisdom. They rejected God's word about Christ, and so they didn't understand what they were doing. And the irony of God's wisdom, that's why it looks like foolish in the eyes of the world, the irony of God's wisdom is that their murder of Christ actually became the basis for God's plan of salvation and the answer to all the important questions in life. Paul reminds them, that these gatekeepers and their worldly wisdom, which rejects the truth of God, he reminds them that all of this is doomed to pass away, as he puts it. It's all doomed to pass away. It's all going to burn up and turn to nothing. But, he says, we belong to the age to come. What a way to think of yourself. I don't belong to this age. I belong to the age to come. Did you ever hear that said about somebody that they are born before their time? You know what that means. It means that somebody who had insight, wisdom into things that seemed to come from a more enlightened age that came later in history. People like Galileo or Copernicus. 
or in the political realm, somebody like William Wilberforce or Frederick, Frederick Douglass. They were born before their time. They had insight from a future era. That's who we are. We are reborn before our time. We belong to the age to come, and yet we live in this age. And that's not something to be said in pride. That's something that God has done in the hearts of believers, is given them truth from the age to come. That's why in Hebrews 11 it says we are strangers and exiles on the earth. We don't belong to this age. And in chapter 13, verse 14 of Hebrews, it says, Here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. We live for what is to come. We live by what we know will come, because God has revealed it to be true. And that brings me to the second point that Paul makes about the wisdom from above. He says that the word of God is secret wisdom. It's secret wisdom. Verse 7, but we impart, he's talking about him and the apostle, him and the other apostles, He and the other apostles impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God. The word secret there, literally in the original Greek, is the word that we get in English, the word mystery from. This wisdom from above, revealed by the apostles of the word of Christ, this is a mystery. Now, we have to be careful, and there's a reason why translations avoid that word sometimes, because we tend to think of a mystery as something in terms of uh, Sherlock Holmes, you know, that only the really intelligent people, the really people that work really hard and are really insightful, they're the only ones that can figure out mysteries. But that's not what the Bible means when it talks about mystery. Not talking about something that you need a lot of knowledge and a lot of skill and a lot of effort to figure out. In the Bible, a mystery is something that you can only know when God reveals it to you. That's a mystery. In other words, as Paul says, it's hidden, and then at a certain moment, God pulls back the veil, opens up the curtains, and he shows it to you, and that's the only way you can know it. You can't know it before he reveals it to you. That's a mystery. Reminds me of of an old game show I used to watch when I was a kid quite a bit, Um, and actually it's still around. I was surprised to see it a few weeks ago. Uh, Let's make a deal. You know how that game worked. I mean, I watched it, you know, I watched it a few weeks ago, and I thought, wow, why did I ever like this? There's no skill involved in this game at all. You know, the coast says, okay, there are three curtains, curtain number one, curtain number two, or curtain number three, or three boxes, box number one and box two and box number three. Pick one. And there's no way to know what's behind the curtain. There's no way to know what's under the box until they reveal it. There's no skill involved there. There's no insight involved. You can't know until it's revealed. And once it's revealed, it's revealed. It's clear. It's plain. That's what biblical mysteries are like. You can't know it. It's beyond you to know it until God reveals it. And that's what Paul is saying about the truth of God's word. It's a revelation of what God has told us is true. Look at chapter 1, verse 21. Go back to chapter 1, verse 21. It says, The world did not know God through wisdom. And there he's referring to worldly wisdom, the wisdom of this age. Through worldly wisdom, the world cannot come to know God. Paul expands upon this over in Romans chapter 1, a very familiar passage. He says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. He's talking about God's revelation of himself through what he has created, which is plainly obvious to anyone. 
For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Through worldly wisdom, you cannot come to know God. The only way to hear from God, to know God, is for him to reveal it to you. And that's what Paul says his role was. That's what an apostle was. Someone sent by Christ to reveal God's word to God's people. A revealer, Paul says, a revealer of God's mysteries. As you look at the Old Testament, that's really what it was. We've been studying this in the adult Sunday school. We've been looking at the covenant of grace. The covenant of grace, as these covenants through the Old Testament all build upon one another, what they do is they reveal more and more light. It's like the curtains being parted more and more, and the lights being turned on brighter and brighter so that you can see what God was going to do to save his people. God's will became much more clear through, and it happened progressively in types and shadows. But in the coming of Christ and the sending of the apostles with the word of Christ, you have the fullness of God's revelation. Everything we need to know for faith and life is given to us through the word that he has given us through his apostles and his prophets. These Prophets and apostles were revealers of mysteries, Paul says. And he talks about this in Ephesians 4. Listen to how he describes himself and the ministry, what he is writing to the Ephesian Christians. He says, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And then in Colossians chapter 1, he uses the same language, talking about his ministry. He says, the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints, the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And the beauty of all this, Paul says, that all of this was revealed to us by the prophets and apostles. It's all revealed for our glory. Do you notice that? He says, a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. Now, I want to take a moment just to read to you the best summary of the plan of salvation that originates before the world was created and is not complete until Christ comes again to establish his eternal, perfect, righteous kingdom. That whole thing is summarized so beautifully because I want to read it for you because this is what Paul is talking about. Ephesians 1 is the best summary of what the prophets and apostles were sent to reveal to us. I want to read it to you just to give you in a brief passage the full scope of this revelation, this mystery that Paul is trying to communicate. It begins in verse 4 of chapter 1 where it says, He, God the Father, chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, 
things in heaven and things on earth. That's what Paul was sent to reveal. That's the mystery of the ages. That's the answer to all the big questions in life. I wish Siri would give that answer sometime when somebody asks her what's the meaning of life because that's it in a nutshell. Which brings us to the means by which this truth is revealed to us. Why doesn't everybody know this? Why doesn't everybody believe this? Why are there so few that embrace it by faith and live by it? Well, Paul says the word of God is spiritual wisdom. It's spiritual wisdom. Look at verse 10. He said, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. You see, that's the delegation of responsibility among the three persons in the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. God the Father chooses us before the foundation of the world and sets in in motion the plan to save us by grace. God the Son comes and dwells in our midst, adds to his divine nature a fully human nature, lives in perfect obedience, and then offers himself up as a sacrifice on the cross. And having paid the price for all our sins and taken away all our guilt, then he was raised from the dead, and he ascends to the right hand of the Father in heaven. That's the work of the Son. But the work of the Spirit is to open our eyes to see all that, to understand that, to believe it, and to live by it. That's the work of the Spirit. It's a spiritual wisdom. It's a wisdom of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is an eminently trustworthy source for us to discover, to know what are the thoughts and motives and intentions and plans of God. Paul says, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. No one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. That means we can know the very thoughts of the creator of the universe because of the work of the Holy Spirit. In Isaiah 55, verse 9, it says, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And that explains the world's reaction. They say, how arrogant of you Christians to claim to know what God thinks. How dare you say that you know what God thinks. I'll tell you how we dare to that. Not because of anything in us, but because of the, what the work of the Holy Spirit The Holy Spirit searches the deep thoughts of God and then reveals to us what we need to know about these big questions in life. I mean, think about it. How can you know the meaning and purpose of your life without knowing the thoughts and plans of your Creator? Paul refers here to two aspects of the Holy Spirit's work among us. He first refers to what we call inspiration of the Holy Spirit in verse 7. He says, we, speaking as, as a spokesman for the apostles... We impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God. In verse 13, he says, We impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The Holy Spirit inspires the prophets and apostles to give us the perfect, inerrant, fully authoritative word of God, the answers to these questions that we need. In 2 Peter chapter 1 Peter says, no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's the gift of the Spirit's work of inspiring the prophets and apostles. But it doesn't stop there. Because if that's all the Spirit did, nobody would be saved. No one would believe. Everyone would be lost. 
the second aspect of the Spirit's work that Paul alludes to here is the work of illumination. The illumination of sinners like you and me. In verse 14, it says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, they're foolishness to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. Now these days you'll hear a lot of people say, well, I'm a spiritual person. Usually when you hear that phrase, say, I'm a spiritual person, it's followed by something like, therefore I don't adhere to any of the denominations or religions, you know, but I am a spiritual person. I don't go to church, I don't you know, do any of those religious things, but I'm a spiritual person. In other words, they make up their own religion and are guided by their own thoughts. And they think they're their own thoughts, but really they're fed to them by the gatekeepers, the the worldly wise men of our own age. To Paul, the spiritual person is the one who's indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. The one who's been born again by the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit. The one who has been given new eyes to see truth. The one who's been given new ears to hear the truth. The one who's been given a new mind to understand the truth. And the one who's been given a new heart to embrace the truth and put their faith in this truth. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in illuminating what he has revealed through his prophets and apostles. In verse 12, it says, we have received the Spirit. It's a gift of grace. No one deserves to receive it, but it's given by grace. We have received the Spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Why do we understand election, regeneration, conviction of sin, faith, repentance, adoption, sanctification, glorification? Why do we understand these things that are all about the plan of God from eternity past? Why do we understand? Why do we believe? Why do we embrace? Why do we live by these things? Because of the work of the Holy Spirit in us. If you've been converted, if you've experienced a conversion from darkness to light, you know what I'm talking about. You know that moment, if you're, you're, unless you were too young to remember, and many of us were by God's grace. But if you were old enough to remember, you know that moment where all the lights turned on. You'd heard these things for a long time, but all of a sudden, the lights turned on, it all fit together, the puzzle comes together, and you believed. That was a sovereign, miraculous act of the Holy Spirit in your heart and in your life. To know the meaning of life, you must go to the source of life, your creator. And you, know, you need to know his thoughts. You need to know his plans. You need to know his motives. We live in the information age. We're drowning in knowledge. Absolutely drowning in it. But signs of the wisdom of God are few and far between and they're getting less and less. Through the Holy Spirit and the revealed word of God, we are offered an unconventional, secret, and spiritual wisdom that brings meaning and purpose and a clear view of reality to your life. That's what's available to all of us. It's available to everyone who seeks it, this wisdom from God. That's what James chapter 1 says. James chapter 1 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, this wisdom from above, this wisdom from God, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. If you sincerely ask for this wisdom from above, you can know for sure that God will give it to you. Because you wouldn't even want it unless the Spirit of God was already leading you to it. But that's the confirmation of the Spirit's work in you, is that you ask for it, you want it, you crave it, and when you get it, you won't ever let go of it. That's the work of the Spirit in a believer. 
The Holy Spirit and the word of God, Paul says, the last phrase he uses, gives us the mind of Christ. What a gift. To see things as Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, sees them. To be given his worldview. To be given his clear view of reality. To be, see our sin the way he sees it, but to see his grace and his love for us the way he sees it as well. The mind of Christ. What a blessed people we are. Let's pray. Father, why you reached out to us in our darkness and depravity and our rebellion and hatred of you, why you chose to love us, to send your spirit, to change our thinking, to change our heart, to open our eyes and our ears. Lord, we don't know, but we're so thankful. As undeserving as we are, we are eternally thankful for your grace that has opened our eyes to see Christ in all of his glory, Christ crucified and risen from the dead and ascended to the right hand of God in heaven, reigning over all. May we continue to glorify and exalt him in all that we say and do, especially as we gather together in his name here and at his table. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.